I am Pastor Sandy, and I am the children's pastor here at Linwood, and it is always an honor for me to come down and hang out in big church. Now, part of my role here at Linwood is a little different. I lead our grief share ministry, and grief is something that is very near and dear to my heart. And so it's my honor to be here today. So we are in week five of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Series, and Pastor Mark has been walking us through the pathways. If you've missed any of these sermons, I want to encourage you to go back and watch them. You can find them in our Church Center app, and you can also find them on your YouTube. Now, last week, Pastor Mark walked us through the journey through the wall, that place along our spiritual journey where we reach a crisis of faith. That place where we feel like God isn't hearing our prayers. And maybe we're not hearing him either. That wall stops us in our tracks. And some people get stuck there. But if we journey through it, Pastor Mark reminded us that deeper freedom is found on the other side of the wall. So this week's topic is tied very closely to that. This week we will talk about enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Not a fun topic to talk about. We experience grief and loss in a variety of scenarios. The loss of a job, retirement, the loss of a dream. Maybe it's the loss of a home. Maybe it's infertility or divorce, estrangement from family members. The kids grow up and move out of the house. Maybe it's a terminal diagnosis. Or maybe it's just the loss that our bodies just aren't doing what they still used to do. And maybe it's the death of someone who is very near and dear to our heart. Every culture and every family grieves differently. But what a lot of people don't realize is that every person within those families grieves differently. And Jesus grieved. And our passage of scripture that we're going to walk through today comes from Matthew 26 with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you're using one of our Bibles in the room, you can turn to page 1,544. It'll also be up on the screen. I'm going to give you a little background about where we're at right now. The Garden of Gethsemane was the olive grove just outside of the gates of Jerusalem. Gethsemane means oil press. Olive oil was a precious commodity in those times. Harvested olives were processed, crushed, and this precious and valuable oil was extracted under great pressure. Now, as we step into Gethsemane, it was this grove that Jesus chose to be the place that he would spend time talking to his father before a very difficult season. This is the night that Jesus would be betrayed and arrested in just hours, he would be beaten and mocked and crucified on a cross and left to die. 
It was unimaginable what Jesus was about to go through. And what I love about such a hard passage of Scripture is that it's in this Scripture that, and in when this time that we can actually relate to Jesus probably the most clearly in our grief. So we're going to start in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus' heart was in great anguish. He took a few from his circle with him, which actually kind of resonated with me because when you are walking through a grief journey, your circle tends to get really small. We, could, we should open ourselves up to invite people into our suffering, to allow people to, to walk with us, to hurt with us, but not everyone is going to understand it. And not everyone is going to be able to do it. And that is okay. Jesus carried the weight of knowing the pain that he was about to endure. He knew that he would be betrayed by a friend. He knew that death was soon for the sins of this world. And he knew that he was about to feel the temporary separation from the Father. And it was crushing him. Let's go into verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now Jesus was not rebelling against his father's will. He was coming to his father with his hurt and his deep anguish because he didn't want to go through this. But he knew that it was what had to be done. God wants us to come to him. He wants us to cry out to him. And I don't want you to miss this part. Jesus knew what lay ahead of him. And he knew why. The struggle was intense and it was causing him great stress. And the weight of grief was coming down on him like a rock as it often does. But to be able to say, yet not as I will, but as you will, display trust, obedience, and what total surrender looks like as a man grieving, walking this earth. Let's go into verse 40. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Jesus returned to his friends to find them asleep. You can almost hear the disappointment in his words. And can I let you in on something? When you are grieving, people are going to disappoint you. People are going to let you down. 
People are going to say things and do things, not because they, they're trying to hurt you, but because they don't know what else to do or say in this season. And it can make you feel really alone. And I feel like that's where Jesus was right here. Now, Jesus used the men's drowsiness to give us a warning that spiritual attacks, they will come when we are weak and when we are distracted. And grief has a way of doing both. Grief can knock us out. And that's why it is so important that we go to God in prayer. Leaning into God in our grief is our best defense against the enemy. And if we were to continue reading through this passage, we would see that Jesus went back and prayed two more times before he was arrested. Now, Jesus' death allowed us to be restored to God, and his resurrection gives us hope past our pain. Now, there's a phrase that I use often in grief ministry, and that phrase is, it isn't always going to feel the way it does right now. Because we have hope. So how do we grieve well? In chapter 5, Scazzaro shares five phases. We're going to talk about three of those today. The first one we're going to look at is we need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to what is hurting us. We need to pay attention to our grief. Jesus was incredibly aware of his pain in the garden and what he was feeling. Our Bible is filled with prayers to God from those who are grieving. David wrote poetry after the death of Saul and his best friend Jonathan. Jeremiah wrote lamentations. Ezekiel lamented. Daniel grieved. Jesus wept over Lazarus. And the Bible is filled with these grief-filled prayers to God communicated through many different emotions. And God is a big God. And he can take our emotions, even when those emotions are that we're upset at him. There's a lot of people that don't think they can do that and that they can bring that to God. But he's a big God. I do want to clarify something about expressing our emotions to God, though. Lamenting and grumbling are two very different things. If my husband says something to me that hurts my feelings and hurts my heart, and I go around and I talk to everyone else about how he hurt my feelings, that is creating a distance in his and my relationship. But if I come to him and I say, what you said to me really hurt, it allows the opportunity for understanding and for healing. And it's the same with God. Grumbling is talking about God. Those times when we say, God, let me down. 
or God doesn't care about me in my grieving. But lamenting, lamenting is talking to God. God, you weren't there for me. Or God, I feel very abandoned. We need to lament. We need to come to God and we need to share our feelings. And coming to God with our pain and sorrow does not show that we have a lack of faith. Quite to the contrary, it shows that we are bringing our deep pain to the one that we trust and know will meet us in it. But what if we are really good at stuffing our feelings? Maybe to the point that we don't even know that we're grieving. Scazzaro says, when we do not process before God the very feelings that make us human, such as fear or sadness or anger, we leak. Our churches are filled with leaking Christians who have not treated their emotions as discipleship issues. He later goes on to say on that page that grieving is not possible if we don't pay attention to our anger and our sadness. Unacknowledged grief will find its way out. It will eventually leak out as sarcasm, as anger, or as in other hurtful and harmful ways. You've heard the phrase that hurting people hurt people? I want to encourage you to have a conversation with Jesus. Ask him to show you where you may still be holding hurt, grief, loss in your heart. And when he shows you what those things are, bring it out into the light. Acknowledge it. Jesus recognized and he chose to acknowledge his grief, and we need to as well. So the second phase that we're going to talk about today is probably one of our least favorite, waiting in the confusing in-between. That season where we can't see what's coming in our future and nothing seems to make sense. What we are grieving is no longer part of our life and for some hasn't come yet. And now we are trying to figure out the next right step. It's that season that we want to get out of as soon as possible because it's really uncomfortable. It's a season of waiting. For many, the deepest pain of waiting lies in the sense that God, who once seemed so near, now feels so far away. Waiting can make us feel forgotten or abandoned. But that is not who our God is. He is faithful and he is ever present. Pastor James Greer said it beautifully. While you are waiting, God is working. 
He is building your faith, teaching you his truth, drawing you closer to himself, and making you more like Christ. God knows what you need better than you do. Isn't that what we strive for in a Christian walk? To draw closer to him and to be more like Christ? And God uses it. God can use the most difficult times in our lives to to either begin or deepen a change that's already happening in us. But it starts with you. And it starts with your willingness to surrender in the wait. Now the last phase that we're going to talk about today is let the old birth the new. Resurrection only comes from death. And each one of our losses, whatever they are, are real. They are painfully real. And each has some degree of death tied to it. But here's the beautiful thing. God will redeem it. On page 136 of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro says, There are many rich fruits that blossom in our lives as a result of embracing our losses. The greatest, however, concerns our relationship to God. We move from a give me, give me, and give me prayer life to an intimate, loving prayer life characterized by a loving union with God. When we grieve God's way, we are changed forever. God is good, amen? Amen. We are never the same after we experience a loss. And as we walk a journey of grief, we begin to have an understanding about grief that we could only have from walking through it. And when we walk with the Lord on our journey, we have the opportunity to birth an empathy. God will birth an empathy in us that allows us to walk with people in a way that we couldn't have done had we not gone through our loss. 2 Corinthians 1 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and of the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in the trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So those of you who are new to Linwood, I lost my 21-year-old in 2015 by suicide. And on the night that I received that call, my entire world changed. And nothing made sense. I remember feeling completely numb, yet completely overcome with sorrow at the exact same time. I wanted to run out of my house to make it all go away. But all I could do was fall to my knees. And it was in that moment that I cried out to Jesus. And I told him that I can't do this. I can't do this without him. It was all him. And in full surrender, I laid on my bedroom floor, sobbing. But he didn't leave me there. 
Because I remember this peace that came over me. This peace that we, that we hear that passes all understanding. I experienced that. In my deepest, darkest grief, I experienced Jesus stepping into that space with me. And as the journey went on over the next few years, I began to see the Lord put the pieces of my life back together in ways that I couldn't have done. In ways that were so completely different than what I had experienced before. I would never be the same person. But there was beauty in that. I acknowledged my grief. I spent time in waiting where God transformed my heart so that now my heart longs to walk with people who are hurting and who are grieving, and I couldn't have done that before. Where people try to avoid those situations, I'm running straight into them now because that's how he put the pieces of my heart back together. Now, I don't necessarily buy into the old saying that everything happens for a reason. But I sure believe that everything that happens can be redeemed by our God. Amen. I love and I miss my son every single day. Friday would have been his 30th birthday. But had I not lost him, I would not be the person that I am today, doing what I love and always feeling the presence of my Lord. Now, there was a scripture that I had read daily early in my grief journey that I was comforted by because everything in my journey I was questioning including my faith. That scripture comes from 1 Samuel. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And this brings us to our bottom line. The rock of grief will crush you unless you take your grief to the rock. Just like the oils that are extracted from the olives, God can take the heaviness of, from our pain and our sorrow and transform it into something precious if we will humble ourselves and bring it to him. And what better day than today? What do you need to bring to the rock? What pain are you holding so tightly with both hands that you can't open your hands to receive all that he has for you? Around you, you will see pieces of paper on the chairs, and I want to encourage you to pick one up. There is a prayer on there. You can write a few words. You can write one word if you want to. You don't have to put your name on it. You can fold it up. 
And as we go into the next song, I want to encourage you to bring your pain, bring those things that you have identified, and I want you to bring them to the rock. God wants to meet you. He wants to meet you in your pain. He wants to meet you where you are at. And he wants to walk with you. But you have to take the first step. The altars are going to be open. If you're not sure if there's something in your heart you need to let go, then I encourage you to come forward and have a conversation with Jesus about it. If you come to the center altars, that will tell us that you want to pray alone. If you go to the outside altars, we will come alongside you and we will pray with you. Grief is a long and painful journey, but we don't have to walk it alone. Grief has a way of reminding us that we are not in control. It's time to open our hands and surrender our pain to the one who is. Pray with me. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I pray that you would just move in this room. I pray that there would be surrender I pray that those losses that we are holding on to so deeply, that we would give those to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, move through this room. And God, I thank you for all that you have done in my life, in my grief journey, to change my heart. And I pray that today begins that journey for others. We love you and we praise you. And in your name we pray, amen.